Okay, good morning. So the scripture this morning is John chapter 15, verses 1 through 13, and then 16a, whatever a is. I'll do my best. All right? Um, But before I read this, I want you guys to do something. These are the words of Jesus himself, Jesus talking. But he said them in a particular time and in a particular place. He's already washed the feet of the disciples. They've had their last supper together, communion. It is sometime between the last supper and the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus says this. So this is his last night before his crucifixion. I'm sorry, before his trial and crucifixion. I'd like you to imagine that you're there with the disciples. Hearing Jesus say this, feeling the passion that is coming through in his words and the weight of what he is telling them, he says, I am the true vine and my father, oh, sorry, please stand for the reading of God's word. Okay, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away, withers and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed the Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be complete, or so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. My command is this love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that he lay down his life for his friends. And then 16a, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. The word of the Lord. Well done, Dean. You got it right on this A part. I just want you to know. Thank you. You may be seated. Funny things stick in my brain sometimes. My wife can probably tell you that. We were talk. We sang. We sang this morning in um, 
find us faithful, when our children sift through all that we've left behind, only in America. Right? Only in America. Our kids are praying that we don't leave a lot for them to sift through. Yeah. (laughs) Well, as we come to the end of our series, Go Be the Church, we must decide to accept the challenge. Right? To go be the church. This challenge is one that's marked by our understanding of Christ's mission to reach the world and the role we play in that mission as His church. Jesus is the hope of the world, and the local church is His chosen vehicle. As I've said before, the church is plan A, and there is no other. Any good vehicle has to leave its garage to serve its purpose, and that is exactly what this series has called us to do to go beyond our wall with Christ's love. I grew up in Idaho on a small farm. We called it an acreage um, outside of Nampa, there in the country. We had five acres, most of which was pasture, but also included a, uh, a small orchard. Actually, it was more like a weed patch with fruit trees and berry bushes in it. We had a couple of apple trees, a peach tree, a pie cherry tree, two types of plum trees, gooseberries, currants, and grapes. Sounds like we should have been knee-deep in fruit, right? Well, actually, we harvested very little fruit from that orchard because we didn't take care of it. The apple and peach trees were thick with branches and foliage, but the fruit that they did produce was sparse and small. The grapevines, they looked great. They they were thick, they had lots of leaves, they were healthy looking, but they produced few grapes. All the vines' energy went into the foliage, and as a result, there was hardly any fruit. Those vines were a great place to hide when we played hide and seek. But as fruit producers, they weren't much good. As Jesus, as Jesus often did when He taught, as in our text today, He draws upon something of which His disciples would have been familiar, especially in the culture of that day. Vineyards were common in Israel in Jesus' time and still are for that matter. The disciples would probably have had at least a basic understanding of what was required to care for and produce a crop of grapes. And so Jesus gives this illustration about the vine and the branches and bearing fruit. And Jesus begins by telling us that there are two kinds of branches. First of all, there are the branches that do not bear fruit. And Jesus says that those branches are cut off. A branch has but one purpose, to bear fruit. A branch from a grapevine that produces no fruit is no good. might be nice to look at, but it's not fulfilling its purpose. It must be removed from the vine. And here's something about... The branches from grapevines. 
You can't use them to build things or make furniture. They're not even good to use as fuel to produce heat. They're too soft and they burn too quickly. Very few BTUs and leaves a lot of ash. So they must be gotten... They're good for bonfires. That's what they're good for. Then Jesus talks about another kind of branch. They're branches that bear fruit. Branches that bear fruit require pruning to remain fruitful. Branches that bear fruit require pruning to remain fruitful. Bruce Wilkinson describes what happened when he moved to the country. It was in the springtime. The fence that he shared with his neighbor had a large grapevine growing on it. And he and his family were looking forward to enjoying some juicy grapes that fall. A couple of days later, he noticed his neighbor was hacking away at the vine with some large shears. So he went outside and asked, I guess you don't like grapes, huh? The neighbor replied that he loved grapes. Seeing the confusion on his face, the gardener explained, Well, son, we can either grow ourselves a lot of beautiful leaves filling up this whole fence line, or we can have the biggest, juiciest, sweetest grapes you and your family have ever seen. We just can't have both. Just out of college, I worked for a a landscape nursery. The owner of the nursery would be asked advice from time to time on pruning trees, uh, fruit trees and grapevines. He used to tell people, among other advice, that when you finish pruning a a fruit tree, you should be able to throw a cat through it. (laughs) Think about that. You know what he was telling them? That, it, that, that it's going to look so sparse that when you throw the cat through there, he's not going to find anything to grab onto. Right? <laughs> to the novice, removing that much from the tree or vine would seem pretty severe. But, but to someone who understands what is required so that the tree or the vine will produce fruit, so that it will be more fruitful, it is the right and the best thing to do. God understands what needs to be done in the life of a fruit-bearing Christian to make them even more fruitful. That thing that needs to be done is pruning. When you... Consider that pruning is the cutting away of something. And it's interesting that this whole topic came up in Sunday school this morning. Then there's a realization that this is usually a painful process. In fact, um, someone said, you know, that pruning process when you're done and you can't throw the cat through the tree, it's more like amputation than anything. It's a painful process. So, So how does God prune us? Well, He prunes us with those experiences that we call troubles, trials, testing, suffering. And Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5 that these things, God has a purpose for the pruning process. They produce in us perseverance, character. Whose character? Whose character is God? 
Why is He doing this? He, whose character does God want to see in us? His. Jesus, right? It, so Paul says these things, the pruning process, the testings and trials that we go through, produce in us perseverance, character, and hope. Would you call those things fruit? Sure. But there's something else the pruning process does. It brings us to the place where we must rely on Jesus to help us make it through the trials and sufferings we face. Increased dependence upon God. I think that's where God wants us to live, don't you? So as we go through these things, we find ourselves in a place of dependence and reliance upon Him. We have to remain in Jesus to make it through or abide in Jesus to make it through. So Jesus goes on and, and, and then in, in verses 4 through 8, Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. We're talking about fruit-bearing branches here. No branch produces fruit apart from the vine. In fact, he talks about it. You cut the branch off, you throw it on the ground, it withers and dries up. And then at some point, you throw it in the fire and burn it up. No branch produces fruit apart from the vine. It's in remaining or abiding in Jesus, drawing life and nourishment from the vine, that we are able to produce good, abundant fruit. It's the only way. The issue with abiding requires asking ourselves if we want Jesus more than we want other things. The danger in wanting other things over Jesus is that we cease to abide and then become a fruitless branch. And we know what happens to fruitless branches. No, we are to remain in Jesus and He says His Word is to remain in us. So what does it mean to remain or to abide? Because depending on the translation you use, it will use one of those two words, remain or abide. Well, Julia gets our daily bread devotionals online and she read one to me this week after I'd been working on this message and I said, wow, that's going to fit right in. It's, um, this is, so this is uh, a devotional from our daily bread. I think it explains what it means to abide or remain in Jesus really well. It's called Fellowship with Jesus. It was by jo- Joseph Stoll. He says, I'll never forget the time I had the privilege of sitting next to Billy Graham at a dinner. I was honored, but also somewhat nervous about what would be appropriate to say. be almost like sitting next to God, kind of, you know. I thought it would be an interesting conversation starter to ask what he loved most about his years of ministry. Then I awkwardly started to suggest possible answers. Was it knowing presidents, kings, and queens? Or preaching the gospel to millions of people around the world? Before I had finished offering suggestions, Reverend Graham stopped me. Without hesitation, he said, here was his answer. It has been my fellowship with Jesus. 
to sense his presence, to glean his wisdom, to have him guide and direct me, that has been my greatest joy. Joe Stuhl says, I was instantly convicted and challenged. I was too when Julie read this devotion. Convicted because I'm not sure that his answer would have been my answer and challenged because I wanted it to be. He goes on to say that's what Paul had in mind when he counted his greatest achievements to be of no worth compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Think of how rich life would be if Jesus and our fellowship with him was our highest pursuit. Lord, forgive me for chasing after things that matter far less than my fellowship with you. Thank you that you stand ready to enrich my life with your presence and power. I think that was a great description of what it means to abide or remain in Christ. To remain fruitful, as in to produce much fruit, where God has placed you, give Christ first place in your life. First place in your life. Seek His fellowship above all. That is what it means to abide in Him. And it says then that I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me you can do nothing. Great fruit gives God great glory when it comes from one who is abiding. Great fruit gives God great glory when it comes from one who is abiding. So what is great fruit? What's the fruit that we are to bear? Well, the Scripture talks about fruit of different kinds. Many of you are aware of the passage in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, where it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So we're to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Those characteristics that are really Christ-likeness. Right? We're also to produce the fruit of service. Colossians 1.10 Paul writing, So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. We're to bear the fruit of service. We're to bear the fruit of worship. Hebrews 13.15 Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess His name. We're to produce the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of service, the fruit of worship. We're to produce the fruit of harvest or soul saved, which is actually the fruit of our witness. Because we don't save anybody. And, and I'm going to put together a, a, a series of scriptures here to, to help us understand that we're to be involved in that. The fruit of our witness should result in, the, uh, in a harvest of souls saved. In 1 Timothy 2.4, it tells us that God wants all men to be saved. All men. That means all men. He doesn't want anybody to go to hell. 
He wants all to come to repentance. Okay, so we know that's God's desire. Then he tells us in, in Acts 1.8 that we are Christ's witnesses. So he wants all men to be saved. We are Christ's witnesses. We have a hand in this. And then he tells us in 1 Peter 3.15 that we are always to be ready to share the hope that we have in Christ. And to do it, it says, with gentleness and respect. So, we're to produce the fruit of harvest, soul saved, which is our witness. It's the fruit of our witness that we have in the in the world. So we produce the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of service, the fruit of worship, the fruit of harvest, which is actually the fruit of our witness, and the fruit of discipleship. Colossians 1.28 He is the one we proclaim, speaking of Jesus Christ, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. We have a responsibility to raise up disciples. The fruit... So, you're wondering about the good fruit that we're supposed to produce? The fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of service, the fruit of worship, the fruit of harvest or our witness, and the fruit of discipleship. And folks, if you move a little, long, a little farther along in this passage, verses 9 through 13, you'll see that we have to produce fruit that tastes good. We do not bear sour grapes, but the sweet fruit of love and joy. Have you ever, uh, you know, with that weed patch that was kind of an orchard, we used to go out when there was fruit on, and we were never patient enough to wait till it was ready. Grapes that aren't ready, whoo, they'll pucker you up. And uh, gooseberries will. Pie cherries never get sweet. We do not bear sour grapes, but the sweet fruit of love and joy. Folks, we already talked about it. The first two fruits of the Spirit are love and joy. In verse 9, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. From Father to Son to all God's children, God's love flows to us. And notice the tense. The Father has loved Jesus. Jesus has loved us. It's already happened. And it keeps happening. Our job is to remain in that love. Other translations use the word to continue in that love or to dwell in that love or to abide in that love. And the message paraphrase quotes that verse this way, Make yourselves at home in my love. We need to live there. There is a fullness and satisfaction that comes to the human heart that is deeply loved. Over and over in the Scripture, believers are addressed as beloved. Because it's true. We are beloved by God. And being loved generates joy. Being rejected breeds bitterness. 
Understanding and applying the truth concerning God's love for us results in fullness of joy. Jesus is giving us here the key to receiving His joy. And it's important for us to really understand this eternal relationship of love between Father and the Son because it is the basis of understanding the love Christ has for us. Remember, Jesus reminds them, His disciples, that He loves them with the same love and intensity that He experienced from His Father. Verse 10. If you obey My commands, you will remain in My love just as I have obeyed My Father's commands and remain in His love. There's a... You know, we like the idea of remaining in Jesus' love. What we don't like sometimes is the condition for remaining in His love. How did the Son demonstrate His love for the Father? There were two responses mentioned in this verse. He kept or guarded all His Father's commandments. And then it says Jesus remained or abided in His Father's love. But that part about remaining in the Word, keeping His commandments, we want the Father's love. We just aren't always so good at keeping the commandments so we can experience it in its fullness. Jesus reveals that in order to abide in this great love or receive the full benefit of the love of the Father, He had to live according to the desires that His Father had for Him. He had to be obedient to His Father. If you really love someone, you have a desire to please Him or her. Jesus really loved His Father. He had a desire to please Him. So He was obedient in every way. God laid out principles and commands in His Word to protect us. How often have you heard people talk about God's commands as more of like a straitjacket? God wants to take the fun out of our lives. God laid out principles in His Word to protect us. God gave His commands to enhance life and increase our capacity to enjoy life. Failure to follow God's command only, commands only saddens the Father, but also results in de- decreased capacity in our lives to enjoy life. No joy. To abide in His love is to hear and heed the things He tells us to do out of His great love for us. God did not give us commands. He does not call us to obedience to make us miserable. He does it so that we can enjoy life that is truly life. To refuse to walk according to His ways is to fail to abide in His love. Jesus asks us to respond to Him. He asks us to remain in His love in the same way He walked in His Father's love. Unhindered fellowship, unwavering trust, unquestioned obedience, enthusiastic service. That's what it looked like. And to do otherwise is to fail to love Jesus as He loved His Father. 
Only when we walk in the ways of God will we come to understand the depths of His love for us. We simply cannot reap the benefits of His love communicated in warnings and principles for our good if we don't follow those things. We, we do not realize the benefit of those things unless we follow those things. Jesus repeats the command to love each other in the same way that the Father loves the Son and the Son loves His followers. It is a self-sacrificing, unselfish commitment to the welfare of another. That's how we are supposed to love one another. It is a willingness to forgo personal aspiration for the sake of another's inspiration. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. In the midst of this command to love others like he loved them, Jesus reminds them again of how powerful his love is. You are my friends. I have called and still call you friends. I have let you into my life more deeply than anyone else. I chose you and will enable you to become successful fruit bearers. I have provided intimate fellowship and relationship also with my Father. So I instruct you to love one another. You will need to love one another because the world will hate you. You will need my love and to love one another because you have the awesome task and responsibility of bearing witness of me for generations to come. The best witness is to love like I loved you. In doing that then, there will be joy. And then as we jump down to verse 16, we find something kind of interesting. Jesus tells us that we are chosen and appointed to this task. In Jesus' day, disciples chose the rabbi that they wanted to follow. But in a twist on tradition, Jesus says that he chose his disciples. And He has chosen us. And beyond that, it says, He has appointed us for a task. That word appointed in the Greek is the same word that we use for ordained. He has ordained you. To ordain is to invest officially with sacred authority and duty. Did you know that God has ordained you? I think we look at, well, God ordains pastors. God has ordained us to share the love of Christ and to be fruit bearers. Jesus' plan is to work in and through us to reach the world. We have been ordained to produce fruit. And our job as branches is to produce fruit that will last. Fruit that will last. One of our favorite uh, apples that Julie and I like to get, and we can't get them here anywhere, but I think it's because they don't ship well. They don't last long. 
They're called criterions. They are... I'm not a... Uh, what do you call a sour apple person? Granny Smiths are good for throwing at things, but... I like sweet apples. Criterions are sweet. But they don't last. You can't keep them. In fact, there's no fruit that will last and last and last. Eventually, it's going to go bad. Your grapes will turn to raisins and, you know. But we are to produce fruit that will last. And in Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, I think Paul gives us a handle on that, where he says, I pray that your love, there it is again, will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. Here here it comes. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. That is fruit that will last. The character of Jesus Christ in us, that is fruit that will last. And he says, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. God wants us to bear fruit that will last. It's the character of Jesus Christ in us as we abide in Him. Don't you want to look like Jesus? Isn't it amazing to think about how much God loves us? I I know, we can't get our minds around it really. The height, the width, the depth. It's amazing how much God loves us. That He wants to walk with us. And wants us to bear much fruit. God has such great love and desires for each of our lives and for us as a church body. He's given us glimpses through this text of His plans for us individually and as a church. His desire for us is to bear much fruit as we go be the church. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank You that You have called us to be fruitful branches on the vine of Jesus Christ. We cannot do this ourselves. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But a branch that's connected to the vine that is pruned by the Father has the potential to bear much fruit Fruit that will bring glory to God. Fruit that will last. And we're talking about for eternity. We praise You, Father, that that is possible through us who have you, you have chosen and appointed to be branches that bear good fruit. What an awesome call. What an awesome responsibility. What an awesome privilege. We give you praise. We give you glory. We give you honor. We know that you alone are the source of the fruitfulness in our lives. And may we, Father, as obedient servants, be careful to remain in you and in your word and be obedient to your commands, understanding how beneficial those are in our lives. And then, Father, out of that, as we remain, will be the fruits of righteousness that are pleasing to you 
and will make a difference in the world where we live as we go be the church. And we pray this all in Jesus' strong name. Amen.